Well, this morning, if you have a, a Bible, if you would turn to Nehemiah, if you don't have a Bible, I think we have, we have Bibles available. We have Bibles available in the back there, and you could pick up one of those Bibles and follow along. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, you could have that one as long as you promise to read it, and uh, you, you put it to good use, all right? So, uh, but this morning in Nehemiah chapter 1, um, when I look at the book of Nehemiah, I, w- I want to share with you that this was the first book that I was discipled in. Which was kind of crazy because usually you go through the book of John or you go through like a gospel. I had become a Christian. I had started attending uh, Calvary Chapel West Covina. Um, at the time, my, my family went to Calvary Chapel West Covina. In fact, uh, my sister's here. That's my sister Mary, and uh, my mom is here, and Deanna's mom is here too. So special special day for us for them to be able to visit. But when I was growing up, my my brother and my sisters they went to Calvary Chapel West Covina, and so as a kid, they took me to church. Um, when they all moved out and it was just my mom and I, I remember going to church on my own and um, I, I was pretty empty. I, I knew something about the Lord. I actually, as a kid, walked forward at an altar call when I was six years old. So Raul had an altar call and my brother and sisters on a Wednesday night took me to church with them and uh, they, I was just sitting there in the back and no one talked to me or said anything. I just knew there was something that he said was, was what I wanted, that relationship with God. I remember walking up the aisle and people were crying. I'm like, why are they crying? You know, and there's something about when a six-year-old you know, commits his life to Christ that, that's an amazing thing. But um, when I was discipled by my youth pastor, Terry Webb, he gave me a book called Victorious Christian Service. Uh, it's by a guy named Alan Redpath. I, I highly recommend. Alan Redpath is with the Lord now, but if you can grab any of those books on Amazon, um, just devour them. That set the bar really high for what Christian literature and uh, Christian books uh, were about. And then studying through the book of Nehemiah, what we're going to see is that the book of Nehemiah is really relevant to us. It's relevant to where we are. And even though it's an ancient book, I think that we could relate to it because when I look at the United States, I realize, and I look at this world, there's a world that needs the Lord. God is the answer to everything. Jesus is the only one that will restore things. And, and I was so agitated in my heart, provoked in my spirit and, and, and grieving for this world. When I heard this week about all the embassies, um, anything that was American being attacked, and, and there's something that rises up within you. And then I started thinking, man, is, is it, it's such a crazy thing. Um, and I even posted something that, can you imagine if someone made a, a movie mocking Christ and mocking Christians? Can you imagine if someone did that and they would not have to fear for their lives? I realize Hollywood does this all the time. And I'm blessed that they don't have to fear for their lives because God has called us to pray for those who persecute us, not to attack them and and to kill them if if they say something negative about us. And yet there is a judgment that's to come. But what our role is as believers, as Christians, is to save people from, I mean, the Lord is the one that saves, but he uses us to reach out to people. And so my heart is that whether it would be people that are doing the persecution or people that are being persecuted, that people come to Christ. And, and I look at the book of Nehemiah, and yes, Jesus is the theme of the book of Nehemiah, even though you're thinking, well, it's an Old Testament book, because we know that the, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed, but the, Old Testament is, uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament contained, Um, or explained, and the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. So the theme of the whole Bible, remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus is talking to these guys, and he says, you search the scripture, for in them you think you have life, but it is these that testify of me. 
So the whole book of Nehemiah is about redemption. It's about God's city. It's about God's building and what God is doing. Remember that before the captivity in Babylon, God sent prophets. A prophet is a spokesman for God. And these prophets would come and they would share, whether it would be the book of Joel or the prophet Isaiah or Micah or Zephaniah or Jeremiah or Habakkuk, Turn back to God because God has a plan. God loves you. God wants you. He wants your peace and not your destruction. Always reaching out to people. And that was the heart behind these prophets. It was the heart of God. And yet people turned away from God and they went their own way. So what God did is he caused the Assyrians to come and take the northern kingdom. And the Babylonians came and they took the southern kingdom. Now during this Babylonian captivity, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar was the agent that God used to do this. There was a prophet named Daniel that was carried away. And in his prophecy, which, which blows me away, um, Daniel prophesies of things to come. Isaiah prophesied of things to come. Isaiah talked about a guy named Cyrus. And Cyrus, who was going to be a king, would come and allow God's people to go back and rebuild the city. And by the time we get to the book of Nehemiah, which is uh, much, much later, Cyrus was not even in existence back then, what we'll see is that God is fulfilling these prophecies, I, I was touching my iPad by accident. So like every time I touched it, it kind of changed the screen. I didn't realize I was doing that. Um, but the Medo-Persians, they, they came. And, and what we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to read it. And then we're going to look at it. And we're going to see that Nehemiah continues a work that God had already begun. And I want you to read with me in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, the Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them with the men from Judah concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The name Nehemiah. Nehemiah means comfort of Yahweh. And what I believe is that God comforts his people by sending a man or a woman for a time such as that in order to minister to others. Such were people in the Old Testament like Deborah, who was a woman that led the nation of Israel in battle, led the, the country. Um, David the king united the kingdom. But I see here a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is used of God to bring God's people back and to rebuild the walls. And he's a third in, in a phase of Zerubbabel going to bring the people back and starting to rebuild. Ezra rebuilding the temple and ministering to the people. And Nehemiah is going to come and rebuild the walls. Now, spoiler alert, that Nehemiah comes and he rebuilds the walls. All right? So I know you're thinking, wow, what a bunch. Why do we even have to read the book then? Right? Because we already know that he comes and he rebuilds the walls. But in the rebuilding of the walls, it's much more than a construction uh, book. This is not just a book of a building of, of walls and gates. It's how God rebuilds people and how God restores people. And how God restores his name and he, he brings people out of reproach into a time of, of praise. See, when I started going through the book of Nehemiah with Terry Webb, my youth pastor, as we started to read this, I looked at Nehemiah and I saw that Nehemiah was uh, the king's cupbearer. He was a, a normal, everyday guy. Nothing special about Nehemiah. In fact, 
He wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was more like secret service. Um, he, he covered the king. Imagine when food would come in or someone would give the king a drink. He would drink it first and he would eat it first because if it was poisonous, then Nehemiah would die. So imagine the king, you know, the, the chef cooked something and Nehemiah got to eat some of it and they would watch Nehemiah. Oh, all right. He's not dying, so I could eat it. And that's, that was Nehemiah's role. But I believe it was more than that. I believe as the right-hand man of the king being with the king, that, that the king began to trust him. I believe that the king started to see Nehemiah as someone that he could, he could trust his life uh, in Nehemiah's hands. And I think that sometimes God puts us in positions to use us right where we are. And this morning, Leslie would think that, hey, God uses pastors or he uses worship leaders or children's ministry workers. Where do you work? Where do you go to school? Where do you live? Because that's a ministry that God wants to use in your life. See, when I was going through this book, I, I see that Nehemiah asked uh, this guy named Hanani, which we find out later on is Nehemiah's brother. And he says, hey, bro, what's going on, man? What's happening in Jerusalem? And Hananiah begins to share that in Jerusalem, it, it's devastated. Do you remember after Hurricane Katrina? Do you remember watching the news and seeing how devastated that area of the country was? And you look at that, but you realize that in Nehemiah's case, it wasn't a natural disaster. You know what it was? It was another nation coming. And they carried them away captive, and they broke down the walls, and they burned it, the gates with fire. And when Nehemiah hears about this, how much time had passed? Anyone know? From the time that Jerusalem was taken until we get to Nehemiah and this point when he hears the news. 70 years in captivity, but remember there had already been Zerubbabel and Ezra. This is 140 years after that, by the time Nehemiah comes along. Now, I want you to think about something. 140 years ago, what happened in the United States? Well, you have to go, okay, we're in 2012, so it's 1912 going back to 18... Can you imagine reading a history book of 18-something and you start weeping? Now, that kind of blows me away. And, and I think that the thing that happened is it wasn't just the news, because Nehemiah knew that Jerusalem was taken, right? He already understood this. Nehemiah's heart was touched because I believe that God was working in Nehemiah's heart. I believe that God took this old news and renewed this news in Nehemiah's heart to reflect God's heart. So when I was going through this book, let me share with you what I did. As a sophomore in high school, I was reading through this, and I said, okay, God, as Nehemiah felt this burden, there were other Jews that were living in, in Persia and in Babylon that had heard the same news, but they didn't do anything about it. It really didn't move them. So I began to pray this prayer that I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's this prayer, God, help me to see things as you see them. God, help me to see my school as you see my school. Help me to see my, my family as you see my family. Help me to see this place where I work as you see this place where I work and this place where I live as you see this place that I live. And that's a, a prayer that I believe that God honors. And it's a prayer where, where I, I really believe that it blew me away because at West Covina High School, I began to pray that. Lord, show me my school as you see my school. And as a Christian, I, I remember just praying that the week that I started to pray that, the week that we started to go through this book, I still have that book, Victorious Christian Service. I have what I wrote in the cover. Terry Webb took me and four other guys through this. Lord, help us never to forget these things 
these things that you've put on our hearts. Help us to, to um, have a burden for what you have a burden for. And that week, a girl at my campus got raped. That week, a boy at our campus committed suicide. I remember I went to my locker room and they had an assembly and they talked about it and they wanted to have grief counselors there. I didn't know the girl that got raped. I didn't know the guy that committed suicide. But I remember just being grieved because people in my high school were making jokes about it. I remember I went to my locker and I was a sophomore in high school and I'm going to my locker. I had just prayed this prayer as the first time I heard about it and these guys were, were joking about what had just happened. And I remember something happened in my heart saying, God, this is not the way that things should be. God, these people don't, my, my friends, and what I began to see is I didn't see just like the football players and the punk rockers and, and the computer guys and the drug guy. I, I began to see sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, when he saw multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. How do you see your classmates? How do you see your workmates? How do you see the people in your neighborhood? How do we see our country? See, when, when I see crowds, too many times all I see is crowds. Um, traffic. It's funny that, you know, living 12 years in Gilroy, the Gilroy Garlic Festival, that's usually when we left town. Because you couldn't, you couldn't drive anywhere, you know, 60,000 people descend upon the city and, and it's like the locusts are coming. And so many times during that hot time, we would leave and go on vacation during that season. And I just saw it as like, wow. But then the Lord started convicting me that, these are people that are coming to your city and they're coming that have an opportunity to hear the gospel. I, I started to see crowds in high school in my campus differently. So when you're in traffic and you look around at traffic, what do you see? I'll tell you what you see. Scowls on faces, right? When you're in traffic, you see people angry. You see, you see me, you know, like mad that I'm uh, sitting in traffic because I like long drives, I just don't like long drives that go a short distance. Um, that, that frustrates me. But one of the things that I could do is God move me with the things that move you. And I could begin to look in faces and see eyes and realize these are people that maybe they don't know the Lord. Or maybe they're just Christians that, that look like they're sucking on lemons for some reason. And we need to pray for them anyway. But, but God began to move my heart. And I think that God does this when anyone prays, God, burden me with the things that burden you. Because God loves people. And whenever you see a person, whether it's a teacher or a boss or a coach or someone that is over you in authority that, that maybe is riding you or not giving you that fair shot, see that person through God's eyes. Begin to pray, God, help me to see them through, through your eyes. This month of Chislev in the Jewish calendar is at the end of November, the beginning of December. And Nehemiah is in the palace, the place of the king of Persia. His brother comes and he visits and he shares what's going on. And Nehemiah begins to pray. And I want you to notice in verse 3, they said to me, because Nehemiah asked, he asked two things. The, how are the people, how are the Jews who had escaped, and how is the city? And in verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah begins to share, um, or they begin to share with Nehemiah. Hanani tells him, hey, Nehemiah, this is what is happening. Again, it was 70 years in Babylonian captivity. This is getting stuck here. We'll get, we'll get it. There we go. 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Out of 3 million 
Jews, only 50,000 came back. So this is about 2 to 3%. They're devastated. And so Nehemiah wants to find out. Now people are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. What's going on? What's happening in Jerusalem? And when he hears about the gates, the gates, they, they were representation of God's protection. The walls were representation of God's protection, of God's reputation, because Jerusalem, even though it's just a city and God dwells in, in a place much bigger than a city, it represented where God dwells. It would be as if the church is devastated. Imagine that someone burned down the church. You came for a worship service and it's, it's gone. It doesn't exist. It's not there anymore. I know that I would be grieved. I hope that you would be just as grieved as I would be. And when we see what's happening, Nehemiah's heart is moved because the people were in distress. The word for distress there means affliction. It means harm. It means bad. And actually, it's a word that can be used in other places in the Old Testament for evil. Not that the people there were evil, but they were suffering evil. When I went to a, a place called Cebu, and um, close to there, and I met with a, a group called the International Justice Mission. And they travel around the world fighting injustices. I found out that in Cebu, that the average age of a, a prostitute was under 14 years old. That many girls were called to be waitresses and to work in restaurants and to work at hotels. And they would say, hey, you know, why don't you come? And they would tell the family, hey, they're going to be able to earn money and send the money back to you. And then they would be taken captive and literally put up for prostitution. And when I heard that and I talked to real people who had been through that, my heart was broken for those things. And I came back and I began to, to share those things. So my daughter right now is a college student. And what she's majoring in is journalism and human rights. Because what she wants to do is tell those stories. See, there are many other people that hear the same things that we hear. But the question is, are we moved? We could hear about what's happening in, in Jerusalem for Nehemiah, or we could look at our newspapers, or we could look at our school. And I'll tell you what, as I started to, to be burdened for West Covina High School, I started to notice kids at my school that also went to my church. And I thought, hey, I, I've seen that, that guy at church. I've seen her at church. I'd walk up to them and say, hey, you know what? Hey, maybe we could start something on campus. Maybe we could start like a Bible study or we could, you know, maybe we could ask a, someone to, for a room. And I remember like a couple of the guys like, whoa, you know, easy there. You know, we're all Christian. That, that's cool. But, you know, keep it on the DL because, you know, we don't want everyone to know that. You know, we, and yet I was burdened and, and my burden was also for them. Why don't you feel what I feel? Why don't you see what I see? Think about your college campus. Think about your workplace. There's other Christians there. Maybe God could do a work in you and through you. See, what happened with Nehemiah when he heard this, as he started to think about these people, that's when his heart was moved. They were in distress. And the next word says that they were in reproach. The word in Hebrew for reproach is a word that means shame and disgrace. And I actually, I decided not to even tell you the word that is used there because it's a word that comes from, from a, a body part, which means uncovering nakedness. This is such a, an embarrassing, such a, a, a reproachful thing. When Nehemiah heard of it, God's reputation, because Jerusalem is the seat of the temple where God's presence dwelt, it was exposed, there was affliction, there was harm, the walls being broken down. And I have to ask us this morning, what about the walls of your life and my life? What about the walls of our church, our community, our family? Is it broken down? 
is, is a, a testimony kind of broken down right now in, in my life? Are there things that God has done in my past and he's given me burdens for that I haven't been faithful to or I haven't pursued? See, there was something about this particular time when Nehemiah responded to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit was alive and well even in the Old Testament, right? He wasn't given the same way that he was given in the New Testament to dwell within us. But I believe with all of my heart, the Holy Spirit was taking Nehemiah's heart and and turning Nehemiah's heart towards the people. So how did he respond to this? He didn't go up to the king and say, King, you know, can I have some time off? Um, He didn't immediately take things into his own hands. You know what Nehemiah did? It says that Nehemiah, when he heard this in verse 4, he sat down. What is sitting down? It's a place of, of being stationary. See, I always want to run. My, my mind is so, um, it's so filled with things. It's hard for me, as I've shared before, to slow down. It's hard for me just to stop and to sit before the Lord. But God desires for us to sit before him and to wait upon him. The next thing that happens is that it says, I sat down. And the next thing it says, I wept. Have you ever wept for people? Have you ever cried for people? And I'm not saying that we have to become um, uh, this thing of emotionalism, but I am saying if our hearts aren't gripped with the things that grip our heart, uh, grip God's heart, then maybe there's something wrong with me that I'm not, I'm not praying in that way. I'm not open to those things. Because when I do pray in that way, God begins to show me people as he sees them. See, Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept and he mourned for many days. Months go by with Nehemiah just holding this before he shares with anyone. And I want to share with you, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, um, for months I've been praying for you guys. For months when Bill Holdridge wrote me that email and I was in the Philippines and I received it, I've been praying. And I've been praying, Lord, what is your heart? What is it that you desire to do? When I went to the pastor's conference in June, Uh, The elders here, the pastors here and the elders and pastors in Gilroy, they already knew about this. And what we were praying about was confirmation during that pastor's conference. And if you've ever gone to a retreat and it takes a while for your heart to kind of get in contact with the Lord, you're distracted and it takes maybe till day two or something. Day one, the first night of worship, we opened up and I was just saying hi to guys I hadn't seen in a while. And it was great just fellowshipping. I sat down. And as soon as the worship started, we began to sing this song. And you know that song. It says, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. And, and we began to sing that song. And I just, I was raising my hands. I was praying. And I was, we were all standing. And all of a sudden, I had to sit. And the reason why I had to sit was because God gave me a picture of you. I didn't know all of you. But I gave, he gave me a picture of you. He gave me a picture of this community. And then he gave me a picture of Gilroy. He gave me a picture of Justin. He gave me a picture of the church there. And I really believe that my response was God saying, Matt, I love these people. And I love the other churches that Pastor Bill Holdridge is going to minister to and the pastors that need him to come alongside of them. And I love the church in Santa Cruz and I love the church in Gilroy. And because I love these people so much, are you willing to respond to what I'm doing? Not your idea, not what you want to do, but are you willing to respond to what I'm doing? And I began to pray and God gave me that, that heart. And I I think that when Nehemiah wept and he mourned for many days, see, this time goes by and Nehemiah doesn't share the burden immediately. You know what he does? He brings it to the Lord. What burden has God given you? 
what vision, what heart has God given you for people, for ministry? And you know what? Before you just start running between you and the Lord, get in that prayer closet between you and God and say, God, this is a burden that you've placed on my heart. See, why is it that Nehemiah has this burden and other people don't? I, I think that Nehemiah is, is drawing near to the Lord, and this is a particular thing that God is calling Nehemiah to. When I think about missionaries, they, the missionaries, now we all should be living on mission, but people that leave their home country, people that leave what's comfortable and what's familiar and what they enjoy to go to another place, why do they do it? I really believe that as they pray that God knits their heart to another people group. So maybe your people group is just your school. Maybe your people group is a homeless population. Maybe your people group are these musicians. Maybe it's these people in the business field. Maybe it's these people in the workplace that you work with. Whatever that burden is, begin to bring that burden to the Lord and say, God, do something with this. Show me what to do. And if this burden is from you, then increase it and show me where the open door is and how I'm to respond. Because when I look at the Bible, I realize that it's not Noah saying, God, I'm going to build you an ark. It's Noah saying, God, what is it that you want to do? And God says, I want you to build an ark. It's not Moses saying, God, I'm going to go do this. It's God through this burning bush appearing to Moses saying, God, this is, I mean, Moses, this is what I want you to do. And as we draw near to the Lord, I believe that God will give us a vision for what he desires us to do. He says, I was uh, mourned and, and I was praying, I wept. And it says, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When it comes to fasting, Jesus says this, when you fast, don't look like you're fasting, but wash your face. You know, take care of yourself so that people look at you and they think, okay, it looks okay. It doesn't look like he's fasting. Don't come in and say, oh, man, I'm hungry today. Why are you hungry? Just fasting. You know, just, uh, I'm just praying. I'm really asking God to do so. Yeah, if people find out, don't go through this head trip. It's okay if people find out that you're fasting, you know, but don't do it so that people will, will look at you as being more spiritual. See, another thing about fasting is that Jesus didn't say, if you fast. What did he say? He said, when you fast which means it was already understood that God's people should at times be fasting. And what is fasting? It's denying ourselves of physical sustenance for a time in order to feed the spirit to draw near to God. Now, if you only fast, but you don't spend time in prayer, what you get is grumpy. Okay, you just get angry and you're just, you know, you're in a bad mood. But if you fast and you deny yourself food to draw near to the Lord, I'll tell you that God begins to break your heart and give you burdens, and give you joy. Fasting brings joy. We're actually joyful about the things that God is joyful about. So he's fasting, he's praying before the God of heaven. And in verse 5, we see Nehemiah's prayer. He prays about this burden. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. When Nehemiah begins to pray to the Lord God of heaven, he understands that God is a God who keeps his promises. And when it comes to covenant, God's covenant with us, we are going to partake in communion together as a body today. This is God's covenant. In the Old Testament, a covenant was sealed by the, the slain of an animal. When Abraham, when God uh, cut a deal, that's where we get the phrase, cut a deal. When he cut a covenant with Abraham, 
this animal was cut in two and only God's presence went between the two parts of the animal because God said, I will be the one to complete this. And sometimes when we pray like Nehemiah, we could come and say, I come in the name of Jesus. It's not a magic formula or a mantra. It's because we're, we're saying, God, I'm coming according to your covenant. See, if it weren't for this communion it, it, and what it represents, we can't draw near to God. The Bible says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all areas tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. Why can I come before God boldly? It's because of God's covenant. And Nehemiah can come before God boldly because he says, God, you are the God of the covenant. You are the one that cut this deal with us, that said that if at any time my people who are called by my name repent and come to me and pray, I'll hear their prayer. It says in verse 6, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. My encouragement to you, as we begin to pray day and night for the people that are around us, and, and Nehemiah says, um, Lord, I pray, be attentive and your eyes open. I, I encourage you not only to pray in your prayer closet, but I encourage you to drive and to walk. Um, make it a regular practice to drive around your neighborhood. Make it a practice to walk around your neighborhood. Make it a practice to walk around your school. And you don't have to blow a trumpet. Okay, I know that that um, w when we did this, we got these churches together in, in Gilroy and we all prayed for the city and we, we walked and we marched. We we're just we we're just praying. And this one guy, he just brought this trumpet and he was just blasting, you know, and I was like, uh, you know, like the trumpet, you know, I understand like in Joshua, they blew, blew the trumpet and that type of thing. But can we just pray? You know, we don't need the trumpet necessarily. So you don't have to go around your campus and say, I'm praying for all of you at work. I'm praying. I'm just pray because God hears us. And you know what God will do? He'll begin to show you people. He'll begin to show you things in this city, in this county, in this community, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family. Just begin to pray. God, show me these things. And then as you begin to pray, and I'll tell you, this is what will happen. You'll see brokenness. And you'll say, God, this area, these people are broken. And God will say, I already see that. And now you're reflecting my heart because I'm the one that's working in your heart to see the things that I already see. And what Nehemiah prayed is that God open, hear the, the, the prayer of your servant. Um, you open your eyes that you would hear. and I mean, open your eyes to see, open your ears to hear. And then notice, if God is going to do a revival, all revivals begin with this confession. He said, both my father's house and I have sinned. Verse 7, we have acted corruptly against you. Remember, David prayed in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. He prayed, and we have not kept the commandments and statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandment and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from, from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. As we begin to pray, 
that confession. Notice when Nehemiah says this, he says, he says he's praying this. He says, be attentive to the prayer of your servant and your servants. Your servant, singular. You alone with the Lord praying. God, I confess. Servants, plural. So Wednesday evening, one of the things that we want to do is we just want to begin by just praying as a body, by coming together to pray at the same time for the things of God. And as Nehemiah does this, he reminds God of his covenant. He reminds God, and, and remember, God hasn't forgotten. But this shows us that when we pray, our prayers should be rooted in God's promises. Our prayers should be rooted in Scripture. And as he does this, he prays, And he says, these are your servants, your people, whom you've redeemed. And notice the theme of the Bible is redemption. What is redemption? It's God taking something of little value and pouring value into it, redeeming it for its original purpose. People were created in the image of God to bring worship and glory and honor to God. And that's why Jesus came to redeem us, to redeem this world. He says, let your servant prosper this day in verse 11. Let your servant prosper. You know what I love? I love Nehemiah's boldness. God, prosper us. God, bless Calvary Chapel. God, bless our ministry. God, bless my family. God, bless my place of employment. God, bless my country. And you know what? We could pray that, not as the health, wealth, and prosperity, guys, but I, I think too many times we're so afraid as Calvary Chapel people and biblical people of being abusive. Like you turn on the TV and there's abusive things on TV. People saying, oh, just name it and it's yours and whatever you want. God wants you to have that and just, and it's all about self-centeredness. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that when we come to God and say, God, I want to do your work, then prosper it. God bless the work of your hands. See, as we close, he says, I pray, uh, prosper this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's praying that God would show him favor in the sight of the king. Joseph was a guy that had favor in the sight of Pharaoh. Daniel was a guy that had favor in the sight of the king. At West Covina High School, I remember praying this prayer, going through this chapter one and saying, okay, God, you've shown me the burden. Now, what do I do about it? So I went to the principal of the school and I said, hey, I was wondering, is there a place where we could meet on campus? I want to have a Bible study on campus and some place where we could have a a classroom. You know, when it's rainy, we can go inside. If it's not rainy, we can meet in the senior quad, but or, you know, out in the quad. But other than that, is there a place? And at first he was very hesitant about it, but I I went and I did my homework. I found out there was something called the Equal Access Act, which means if there's other extracurricular activities on campus and there's other clubs, you could do that. So I came back to him and I showed it to him and he said, you can meet in the conference room in my office. And we started a Bible study my junior year. We started inviting people. I remember the first friend that I invited was a guy named Robert Sinehu. He was my, my buddy that we had played football together with, and uh, we were good friends. And I remember just inviting him to church. I was so nervous. Hey, do you want to come to church with me? And the night that I invited him to church, we were at his house, and we, we were with a bunch of friends, about 30 of us. And, and he, they threw in this videotape. It was called Faces of Death. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it is real footage of people dying. And, and people were drunk, and they were watching this, and it was crazy. And I felt like throwing up. I could not watch it. Because as a believer, I saw people slipping into eternity. And I understood God's burden for these people. So I walked outside. I was at Robert's house. He's like, hey, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I can't watch that. He goes, why? I go, because there's, there's a real heaven and a real hell. 
and I can't, I can't watch that. It, it's making me sick. I remember Robert feeling convicted. He wasn't a believer at the time, and him just saying, well, because you know, I, I didn't like it either. And he goes, hey, what church do you go to? And he's the one that asked me. I said, I go to Calvary Chapel. He goes, hey, can I go with you this Sunday? Yeah, you can come with me. So I remember I called him up, and I, I thought he was going to, like, he's not going to come. He's not going to come with me. Sunday morning, I called him up here. Are you ready? Oh, I'm getting ready. I just showed up at his house. He came with me. The next Sunday, he said, hey, are you going there again? I said, yeah, can, can you take me? I took him with me again. Raul was preaching. I, I took him with me the third Sunday. The fourth Sunday, Robert called me and said, don't pick me up. I'm going to pick someone else up. He brought a friend. And I remember that by the time I had graduated from high school, looking at two pews, you know, about 40 students from West Covina High School, that we were coming to church on our own and just inviting people. And God started doing a work. See, my heart, my burden for us is that God shows us people as he sees them. Because you know what? The coolest thing is to have fellowship. See, I have friends that aren't believers, and we could do a lot of great things together. The coolest thing is to look at that person and say, you know what? We're going to heaven together. Let's take other people with us. Let's make sure that people are on that boat when we go, you know? So in closing, as we consider this burden that, that Nehemiah had, we could relate to it. See, this city on a hill, Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A church is a, the, the word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It's a gathering of people. We're a gathering of people. We're a church. And it says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Because Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth. He said, let your light so shine before men that they might see what? Your bumper stickers, right? <laughs> your t-shirt. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying that. That's an open door. You could use those things. But he said that they might see your good works and glorify our, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven. Do people see good works in us or do they just know that we're in their face? See, when people see good works, it opens up a door to share the reason for the hope that we have. That's what God has called us to do, to be a light. And you know what? I was thinking about signage for the church. And I was thinking, man, you know, it'd be great on the Highway 17 if we can get some signage on 17, you know, or, or right there on the main highway or a, a bigger sign. But then I realized this morning, I started thinking about it. We have signs everywhere. We have signs where you work, where you go to school. We have people. We're living epistles because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. This is the body of Christ. And God has called us to be that. And so over the next few months, we'll begin to share the vision. Um, we'll begin to share the plan. As Nehemiah prayed, he also planned, and we see what God is doing. But this morning, I'm so blessed to be able to partake of communion together with you. And what we're going to do is we're going to have the worship team come up. This communion, this, um, these elements, the bread and the cup, the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The cup represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us, for our redemption. If we partake, it says in God's word, in an unworthy manner, then we drink judgment upon ourselves. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, then don't partake of communion unless you want to open up your heart to say, God, I want to be a part of that. And if you do know this, you don't have to take classes you don't have to understand the whole Bible. You don't have to get your life in order. Come as you are. And when you partake of communion, it's a gratitude towards the Lord to say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. 
Thank you for your blood that you've shed. Thank you for your body that was broken. That's what it means to understand and discern the body and the blood of Christ. And so I'm going to have you come. Another thing that we participate in in worship, when we participate in tithes and offerings, that's not something that's a a guilt thing. That's not something where it's a, a, a compulsion thing. It's a time of worship. And yes, we could worship in the same way in our rooms. We could give online. We could send things in. But yet we give opportunities for people to do this here as a corporate body. And so we are going to participate in these ways. But I want to share with you, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, this is your opportunity today to do that. To simply come up, to take the bread and the cup and to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. God, forgive me. And God, I want to have a burden for people that, the way that you have a burden. I want to love people because you first loved me. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the work that you've done. And Lord, we thank you that we participate in that by being recipients of your grace and love and mercy. And then you call us to partner with you. And so Lord, when we partake of communion together as a church, we ask you, Lord, that you would revive us, that you would strengthen. Lord, I think about the book of Nehemiah and it's about revival, it's about rebuilding, it's about restoration. And Lord, each one of us needs that in our own lives. Lord, we confess our sin to you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Lord, we have forsaken your ways. God, we've acted in pride. God, there are times that we have followed the the desires and lusts of our hearts, and we ask that you would cleanse us. And Lord, as we give to you in tithes and offerings, we pray that this would be an act of worship unto you. Lord, it would be a, a way of participating in the work that you have begun and the work that you're doing. Father, I also pray if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as the Lord and Savior, that today would be that day of salvation. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself and that they would say, God, here I am, forgive me. Come into my life and fill me with your spirit. So, Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.